Okay, so we're on. Um, Rahul, you're asking um, questions, uh, and a lot of it has to do with you wanting things. Mm. And that one of the things that you mentioned was that you wanted to know what happened after death. What happens after that? And that's about the time that we turned the video recorder on when I was saying that there is a particular lesson that everyone has to learn if they're going to make real progress on the spiritual path. But it's a big hurdle. It's a difficult thing to do. And because of that, I would say that well more than 90% of the people in the world never learn this lesson. And the reason for it is because for many of them, it's terrifying. Okay, we have been taught in our society certain things that are not true, but they are convenient. Okay, it's convenient, uh, for instance, to know that there are uh, a particular store is closed before you go to town. It's convenient to know that that store is closed before you go to town because then you don't have to go to town. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, another way of thinking it is, is that it's convenient then to know that your house is not burning down. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. it's convenient to know that the house is not burning down. <laughs> But the point is, is that perhaps the house is burning down, but it's still convenient to not know that the house is burning down. Or it's convenient to think that the house is not burning down when the house is in fact burning down. All right. However, there may be suspicion in there that the house is burning down. But we're not sure. Okay. And in that regard, we need to go check it out to see is the house burning down or not. Now let's change it out of the analogy into the reality of the situation. And that is, is that instead of the house burning down, we can intend, instead say that the house is temporary. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. And in a way that it is burning down, but it's burning down slowly and it may take 60 or 100 years for it to finally dilapidate and fall apart. <coughs> but that everything is on fire, everything is burning, everything is subject to decay. Yes. This is the primary teaching of the Buddha, Anicca. Anicca Vata Sankara Upatawa Yadamino. Everything is temporary, everything will break up. Okay, and so we also have the term Saba, Saba Anicca, uh, Saba uh, Anatta, excuse me, <laughs> Saba Sankara Anicca, Saba Sankara um, Dukkha, but Saba uh, Dhamma Anatta. Now there's a big change in there, but let's go to the point about Saba Sankara um, Anicca. The house is a kind of construction. It's a put together thing. Even uh, if it's got wood in it, that wood is also a construction, a put together thing. 
anything that can be put together can be taken back apart. That's okay. an important point. Okay. You are also, your body is a set of cells collected together with DNA and water and all of that kind of stuff. And you are also a construction. Mm -hmm. Which means that you too are going to fall apart. Yes. So the entire thing that I've been talking about before and when we just started talking, I can sum up in one word. You're going to die. Yes, you are going to die. When you come to that understanding that you are going to die, that should lead you to a new kind of um, effort, just like that. If you know the house is on fire, you're going to go to take care of the house. OK, if you know that that house is going to decay, you might have to do something about it. If you know that, in fact, your whole life is going to decay and fall apart, you might want to do something about it. Yes. OK, so this is the point that we're making is, is that when people believe in rebirth and reincarnation, what they're doing is they're trying to convince themselves that their house is permanent, that it's not going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. That somehow we'll survive this. All right. Um, and what that does then is that is it absolves us the fear, primarily the fear of death. Yes. But, but since you know that you're going to die, that means that you have to deal with the fear of death more directly. You're going to have to deal with the fears in a way other than lying to yourself. To say, oh, that there is a future, okay? <laughs> this is the reason why people want to know is because they're basically asking the question, do I need to have a fire hose or what? The answer is yes, you do need a fire hose because the house is burning down. Yes, you do need to prepare for death because death is going to happen. Yes. Okay. Then, in fact, a better way of looking at it is, is that every moment arises and passes away. Everything is passing away. We talk about humans passing away, but everything passes away. Every moment arises and passes away. So there's not just death. There's a whole bunch of it. Mm -hmm. Everything is dying. Yeah. Okay. And that we need to start watching that arising and the passing away. You get in touch with it to understand it better. And if we do, then we can do something better about it. This is what the observation is. Now, uh, one of the important points about the teaching of the Buddha is that um, he can, the t when I said that this is the number one issue, what I'm talking about is, is that this is the first fetter out of 10, the fetter of personality view. Most of us have the personality view that I am my personality and that I will survive. Okay, now. 
neither one of those things are true and that we have to come to understand what is personality because you are not your personality. If you were your personality, then that meant that you're locked into something. And because you're locked into something, that means you can't get out of it. You can't change it. Okay. So the first real teaching of the Buddha has to do with this issue of Anicca, which when we take it in the right context, that means that all I too not only do change, will change, and will die, but also that I can change, that I am not stuck. Okay. All right. That this is something that's completely opposite of what is taught in Christianity. Christianity teaches <laughs> that you can't change, that you need Jesus. Yes. <laughs> okay. That your sin is original. Uh-huh. Okay, so you got to uh, uh, drink the wine and chew the wafer or do whatever you're told to do because you can't do this yourself. Yes. This is the teachings of all religions is you need the religion. This is also the teachings of government. You need the government. Okay, you either need the government to help you get rid of the people you don't like, or you need the government to help you get the things that you do like. The government wants you to do this because the politicians that run the government, they want you to vote for them. They want you, and so they lie to you to get you to do the things that they want done. So, um, big government, big business. Big, big business has the uh, uh, the business of saying you need our product. You can't be happy without that new car or new drapes or a new carpet or whatever they're selling. You need their product. Yeah. All right. The reality is, is that uh, you don't need their product as much as they need to sell it to you. They're the ones <laughs> who need something. Yeah. And so what our practice is going to be is the practice of making the change from being in a state of need and want into a state of being satisfied and happy. But you can make that change. But you need to make that change over and over and over and over again. Because we're quite in the habit of doing things the old way. Mm-hmm. Now, there are many, many, many items that we can list here, and, and some of them are, um, uh, let us say, useful to some and not to others. And so I'm going to give you a whole long list of things, but first I'm going to describe the process, and I'm going to use the issue of table salt. Some societies because of the old days and the fact that they use salt to preserve meat and other things like this, that some societies use a lot of salt in their diet. That back in the 1950s, in fact, every restaurant in the United States would have a a salt shaker on the table because they expected people to want salt. Now, generally what happens is, is that in some, some cultures, 
they'd use so much salt that when the food is served, they don't even bother to taste it before they add salt. They just start adding salt. They salt the food down, stir it up, and salt it some more, and stir it up, and then they taste it to see if it's got enough salt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Now you can see that not only was uh, this guy, uh, he's using all of that salt, not because he discovered salt as an adult, but because he had been using salt from childhood. Okay, and now let's add another ingredient. And that is, let us say that a, um, a few Wall Street people bought um, uh, and cornered the market on salt. You bought up all the salt companies. I mean, people have tried that with silver before. So let us say in this story, somebody's cornered the market on salt. And so now that they do, they've raised the price of it and they advertise it heavily so that they say everybody's got to use salt. Everybody's got to use salt. And so the whole culture begins to use more and more salt. And then later, the doctors figure out because people start dying left, right and center, that salt actually has a detrimental effect. That it causes high blood pressure, which causes all kinds of other stuff. And so then people will begin to understand that salt is dangerous and they stop using so much of it. That in fact, they may begin to use very much less of it. Okay, so you see the cycle that I'm talking about. Yeah. All right. Let me give you some other examples of that. And that would be firearms. People who have firearms in their house more than likely were because there were firearms in their house when they were children. And because of that, the guy who owns the firearms cannot see the danger in them, and so he wants to keep the guns. But maybe while he's cleaning his gun, he shoots his daughter with the gun, and then he recognizes from that how dangerous these guns are, and so he gets rid of the guns. He gets them out of the house. Okay, let's use another example of that, and that would be that um, the family is really into sweets. Maybe mom got a um, a donut fryer when she was uh, a young uh, married woman, and so now she's cooking donuts every day, and uh, everybody's in the family is 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 fat, and so uh, the man let us say Homer grows up loving donuts and now he's fat and he's overweight and he's sick and he goes to the doctor and the doctor explains to him that you you're getting diabetes you're going to have problems you got to change your diet you got to get rid of these donuts and if homer can see the danger in these donuts guess what he will stop eating the donuts okay now we can see that, in fact, if this is true for guns, with donuts, with salt, maybe there are some other things. Another example would be domestic violence, that people who have domestic violence in their house more than likely they had domestic violence in their house when they were children. Another example would be alcohol. Alcohol abuse, when somebody's an alcoholic, more than likely it's because alcohol was available in the house when he was a child. Okay, so when we understand these things, we understand that most of the emotional baggage that we pick up, we pick that emotional baggage up as a child. Mm -hmm. 
and then we carry it into adulthood without being able to see the dangers in these um, uh, uh, let's say lifestyle uh, decisions that we made as a child. So as we begin to uh, practice Anapanasati, that means that we begin to wake up to the dangers, that this is what one's right noble view is all about, is to see that the things that we have been doing our whole life, we were doing it out of habit and out of whatever gratification that we got from doing it that way. Yes. Okay. I'll give you another example. A recent example is uh, in the United States vaccines. People are reluctant to have the coronavirus vaccine. The reason that they are having trouble with taking that vaccine is because of the fear in one community, fear of medical people because medical people did experiments on that group of people. Or another group of people will be against it because they think that it's a government kind of control or whatever. But the fact is, is that now people are waking up, never mind that they had this um, resistance to it that came out of childhood um, uh, bad training. They now, many people are seeing that it's dangerous to not get a vaccine. Mm -hmm. So some. Okay, and so once people see the danger of not having the vaccine, they can get over their resistance to taking the vaccine. Just like Homer can get over the resistance so that he can stop having donuts. All right, when you understand all of this, that means then that every one of these items and everything about your life is subject to change. Yes, yes. And that's the point. Everything is capable of change. You can change any and everything about yourself. Nothing is fixed. Okay. Yes. And and the distinction is, is whether or not you can see the danger or can you just see the gratification? Because you see, going back to that point about the anti-vaxxers, they were getting a great deal of gratification about being anti-vaxxers. <laughs> Until they right. didn't. Yeah, they're getting a great deal of gratification. They're going out and screaming at people in line and going to uh, school board meetings and all kinds of things in great protest. So they were getting gratification out of their resistance to the vaccine. And because of the gratification, then it's sometimes hard to see the dangers. Mm-hmm. But once we see the dangers, then we can do something about it. So this is your practice of Anapanasati is beginning to see the things that are dangerous in your own mind so that you can make a change to that. Okay. Okay. Now, one of the things that you can see then is is that does rebirth exist or not? You're not going to get an answer to that question. Yes, it's precisely. Okay. You're not going to get an answer to that one. No one who's ever died has come back and explained it all. There have been stories about people who have died and come back, but they didn't do a whole lot of explaining. There has also been stories of people who have gotten pretty close to death, what they call near death, but they didn't die. Yeah, they didn't die. They didn't die. No, so the brain was still operating 
just in some sort of weird way. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we don't know what's going to be after that. And so in a way, you can say, well, maybe I don't need to know that, that there are other things that I do need to know. And when I know that stuff, that will be enough. That will be sufficient for me to live a really happy, comfortable life. And I do not know, need to know whether re, uh, rebirth exists or not. In a way, rebirth, whether it exists or not, is completely irrelevant as to whether you're going to make changes to your life right here and now. And one of the things that you can make a change to is worrying about rebirth. Once you recognize that it is actually irrelevant, then you don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to do it anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, you're wasting your time when you're thinking about it. Does yeah. it exist or not? Because it's not materially affecting you now. Let's deal with the things that are materially affecting you now. Let's deal with the things that are real rather than the things that are imaginary. Well, if we can do that with rebirth and reincarnation, then we can do it with a whole lot of other stuff also. Okay. And so we begin to look at what is in the mind. Is it valuable, useful, and wholesome for this particular moment or not? That's the kind of question that we begin to look. This is why we, what we mean by a wholesome thought versus an unwholesome thought. So thoughts about rebirth would be unwholesome thoughts. Wanting to know is there rebirth or not, wanting to know past lives is actually wanting something that you don't have and will not get. Now, some people want to have past lives so much that they make them up. Mm -hmm. And not only do they make them up, but they may not even know that these thoughts that they're having are being made up. Yeah. Instead, they think that they're memories. Or in fact, they're just making stuff up. Because it's really hard to tell the difference between stuff you're making up and stuff that's real in your past, real memories. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's hard even to know in that. this life, even mm -hmm. in this life, it's hard. Like. Even in this life. I remember one particular example was an argument that I had with my mom when I was, um, I was a teenager then. Over, I remember my grandfather planting that particular um, uh, it was a, it is still, um, a pecan tree. And my mother explained to me, no, he did not plant that uh, tree when you were three years old, when you were here with your grandfather. He planted that tree before you were born because I wasn't married yet when he finished that. And so <laughs> I had to believe my mom that in fact she was right. And I was wrong. My memory was a constructed memory. Okay. Yeah. So we begin, we begin to recognize that a lot of our memories are actually just constructions. We want something and we think about it and then we think that it's real. And that but happens too with emotions. Like I can see that a lot of times I have this memory of people like yelling at me, like like conflict with with a lot of people, and when I meet with them, it's like they they don't have that conflict with me. I'm like, 
well, I guess it didn't happen. Then I recall, I sit down and recall, and it's like, no, I don't think that happened, that we ever gelled at each other. Or there was You're mentioning something that I was about to mention anyway. Oh. Because <laughs> I can see it in your language. And um, that what you just mentioned, that you kind of expect people to be upset and unhappy with you. And so you start off in an apologetic way. Mm -hmm. By doing so, you do not see how people really are. You see them as how you think that they ought to be based upon your own past. So if you're wanting to apologize, for instance, to me for bothering me, that means that when you were a kid, you you were taught that you were bothering people. Yeah. Okay. Just like some people use too much table salt, other people have guns in their homes. This is something that you can look at also, as you expect people to be unhappy with you. Okay. And now, like last week, um, I started working with this recognizing wholesome and wholesome thoughts and mm -hmm. like it, it has really worked out like I can now see like this is wholesome, this is, this is wholesome and it's like I see humor but it's not like not 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 all the time I can pull out this joy like like aha I see you and not all the time but it's like I can recognize it like sometimes it's like okay I see you like that but but now that i can recognize them like like what what do i do with that <laughs> like, like yes <laughs> well here's what we're going to be practicing and that is is that spending more and more time during the day basically when i say it like that what i mean is is that we're going to develop the skill of remembering to look at what's going on. Okay. This is the wake up. This is the sati. It's going to be a skill that we're developing so okay. that throughout the day, we're going to wake up more and more often. And the reason that we're practicing that is um, I use the concept of Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Go wrong. And anything that can go wrong and will go wrong will, will will go wrong at the worst possible moment. Okay. Okay. Uh, an example of that, the gun goes off at the worst possible moment when his pointy led to. <laughs> All right. Another one is when does the rocket explode? Does it explode while it's being manufactured? Does it explode in space? Or does it explode just as it takes off? Just at the worst possible moment, when it's under its most stress, is when it's just taking off. Okay. Okay. Another example is a new hotel is built, and they buy, and it's got a thousand rooms, and so they order a computer system that's good for a thousand rooms. When does the computer system fail? Does it fail on opening night, or does it fail when the hotel is full? Well, with Murphy's light, would right. First it's going to the... fail when it when it's full. Right, okay. it's going to fail. Right. That's why does it fail? Because the hotel needs it most then, but it's also that's when the computer is under the most stress. Oh, 
Okay. It's the stress that takes the computer to fail. Right. It's the stress that makes the computers fail. So that means then that you need sati the most when you're most under stress. Okay. All right. Okay. Which means that we have to develop it so that it's going to be there for us when we need it the most. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's why we're developing sati is to keep waking up and keep waking up so that we can wake up just in that time when we need it most. An example of that, that Homer needs to wake up just when he's passing Dunkin' Donut shop. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, right, that's when we need to wake up. We need to wake up when we need it the most. Okay. So, this is why we're practicing Anapanasati. We practice it so that it becomes a skill that we can practice when we need it most. And so we practice it with the in-breath and we practice it with the out-breath. What does that mean? It means that I remember or I am mindful, or I have sati to remember to take a long, deep breath. And I have sati to remember then to take a long, deep out breath. And so every time we remember a long, deep in breath, and every time we develop a long, deep out breath, we're actually practicing the skill of sati. Now, a lot of students will get bored with that. Watching the long deep breath, watching the long deep mouth breath, they say that all oh, the mind's getting tired or the chest is getting tired or this is too much work or whatever like that. That thought that they're having is also an unwholesome thought. Yeah. That's when we need sati. Here we are, sati on the in breath, sati on the out breath, and then the thought comes, I'm bored. It's like sati. Okay. And now we need the sati on that thought. And they say, oh, wait a minute, I'm not bored. I, that was just a thought of boredom. But I can change that thought of boredom into a thought of joy. And now I'll be joyful rather than bored. Because we are the thought that we're having in that moment. Okay. And so we have to start watching the kind of thoughts that we're having in this moment. So that we can change them from unwholesome thoughts into wholesome thoughts. That okay. I don't have to be bored. I can just sit here and enjoy. Okay. Well, yes, but something's worrying me. Okay. Cause, cause well, notice the worry. Notice how you feel. You had a flash of a thought, and then you get worried. Okay. Reflect upon just, just what happened. Yeah. Like it was, right. like, in fact, the thought of worry is not even important. We can address the worry. You can ask me the question and I can answer it, but that may not be as useful to you is to recognize that you had an instantaneous thought and then you get worried. Okay, so I, I get a thought of worrying. And then you worry. And now, and now with Sati, you can have a thought of worry. You can see that thought of worry and say, hey, I don't have to worry about anything. I don't need the answer to that question to be happy. Okay. I don't need the future in order to enjoy the present moment. Okay. At the ultimate, I don't need to find out whether rebirth exists or not. I can be happy right now with, with or without the knowledge. 
I don't need to know about the future in order to be happy right now. And so when those worries come up, because worry is always worry about the future, worried about the past and the future to, in the combination, or I'll remember something that's broken and, and worry about fixing it. Mm. Okay. Just like you do, you expect people to, um, uh, to be hard on you. And so you, you start worrying about how can you apologize and, and get back on their good side to where in fact, you were the one who created the division in your head, not them. Okay. So when you see that you're creating that division, you can say, well, never mind. They're probably good anyway. They're happy already. They don't need me to go suck up to them. They're already okay. And I'm okay without going and sucking up to them. Okay. Okay. Sometimes this I is the way to begin to see what's wholesome and unwholesome. Number one is to recognize you can change. I can change. You can change. You can stop using salt. You can put your gun, you can sell your guns off. You can, in fact, stop beating your kids. You can do all of these social things that I've been talking about. If you can do that, then you can also change your own mind from uh, worry into everything's okay. Okay, so I'm gonna take the the gun like this, like this this human being that that has guns. Like, how can he notice that the guns are like unwholesome? Like, if I have a gun, this can happen. Like, that will come from uh, from worry, from from Murphy's law, from like it also comes from from fear, I would suppose. That's exactly right. And so this is why we begin to address those fears directly. You see, the guy who's got the gun gets the gun because he's not directly addressing the fear. He wants the gun to take care of the fear for him. Mm -hmm. He feels safe with the gun, which means that he doesn't feel safe without the gun. But what he doesn't recognize is the gun itself is dangerous. That he's much more likely to be killed because he's got a gun than without one. <laughs> Especially if he shoots himself in the foot. Mm. Or his four-year-old gets his gun out and shoots his daddy. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen. That if he didn't own the gun, he would actually be safer. But this is wisdom. This is logic. This is looking at what's going on to where, uh, in reality, the reason that we b uh, buy the gun or buy the donuts or put up too much table salt or any things like that is twofold. One is because we're in the habit of doing it. But also, when we were young, we thought or saw some gratification in it. The example of owning the gun is the gratification of I can feel uh, free from fear because I can protect myself with the gun. Okay. Rather than I can I can take care of anything already without the gun. I don't need the gun. There's no reason for me to be afraid. Mm -hmm. That I'll use wisdom to keep me safe rather than uh, weaponry. 
to keep me safe. Yes. All right. And so once we recognize that the weapon itself is dangerous and is not an act of safety. It's an act of fear. Right. That in fact, the reason we have the gun is because we do not feel safe. But by buying the gun, we make things even less safe. But we have the delusion that we've made things more safe. Mm -hmm. Just like you would say that uh, that you would have the gun or the weapon of an apology. And so you go and you use that apology to make yourself feel safe. Where in fact, there's no reason for you to make the apology because it's not dangerous. <laughs> then in fact, you can annoy people by apologizing for annoying them. <laughs> yes. Yes, 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 yes. Like that that's also a worrying in my head. Like that's recurring. Like like I will worry him I, I will ask for sorry, but I'll I will ask for an apology or no, I will give an apology and then it's like oh, no, I need to stop like that and that's been like like that's taken a lot of work. I work on that a lot of time. <laughs> it's <laughs> Yeah, but I can see that 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 comes from a feeling that's like I tend like a lot in the past, like that's in the past, but I like attack, like I'm like a like a like a dog that's changed all day, and it's like and so uh -huh. people get close to me, and I cannot. Recognize that I'm like, but I'm not. I'm, but I'm not anymore the dog. <laughs> okay, so now you can begin to wake up to that whole process. Yes. Now I was able to see it just because of a couple of words that you were using here and there, mm -hmm. and I picked up on that immediately because I'm. Look, I know what I'm looking for. Been there, done that. Basically, is what it is. There's nothing special. <laughs> it's just that I've seen this before. So. Yeah. Now that I'm pointing this out to you, you can start looking for it. Mm -hmm. Because every time that this comes up, you can say, ah, I'm okay. I don't need to go um, suck up to that guy. He doesn't <laughs> even want me to go suck up to him. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let me take a deep breath and just be okay. I'm all right already. Okay. I'm all right already. This is something you need to keep practicing over and over and over again. You don't need to keep straightening stuff out because it's not broken. Okay. <laughs> so this is what we have to remember. This is the sati. Wake up, wake up, wake up, and look at these thoughts that we're having. But some of them are quite unwholesome. And start having wholesome thoughts instead. Okay. One wholesome thought after another wholesome thought. I can handle this. Everything's okay. There's no problems. There's no worries. I'll, I'll talk to my friends. And so you can take it like that. When you call me, you can say, oh, I want to talk to my friend. Rather than, oh, I, want to, oh, I don't want to bother him. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. 
Nice. All right, so this is how we're going to practice. We're going to practice over and over again to look at these thoughts because we can have just an instant of a thought, instant in the sense of about a tenth of a second, about the time that it takes for an image to flash. Mm-hmm. The image can flash by so fast that you can only see bits and pieces of the colors of it, but it does remind you of something and it sparks a feeling. An example of that is just the flash of a piece of paper in the mind. Perhaps the invo- uh, perhaps that flash of a piece of paper is an invoice. And the invoice we haven't paid yet. And maybe we've got to pay that thing. And so now we feel bad. Just the flash of the image of that piece of paper, that invoice. <laughs> and now we feel bad. Okay. Just, just, just. All right. Another example of that is we're, we're driving to an interview and along the way when we're driving the car, we have the instant flash. Oh, I don't have my cell phone or oh, I didn't bring my resume or oh, I forgot a piece of paper or something like that. And that immediately just that one thought. And now we're driving the car and we go into panic mode. OK. And so we turn the car around into panic. We go back home in a panic. We get the item that we missed in a panic. We're back on the road and we're still in a panic. We're dangerous out there because we're upset about and not, not only that, but then the thought is I've still got to make it to the uh, place on time. And here I have wasted 15 minutes on a round trip that it didn't take. Oh, no, poor me. I'm a bad person. And you can imagine what kind of state that we're going to get into by the time we get to the interview. Yes. Okay. So this is how we begin to practice. We begin to recognize some of these flashes will make us feel really bad. We have to begin to see those flashes, but in order to do that, we have to begin to see how bad we feel from some of these flashes so that we can then take a deep breath and say, never mind, I'm okay. I can turn the car around and go get that document or the cell phone or whatever and get back to the appointment. If I'm late, that's better than dead. Because there's dangers out there on the highway. And so we need to pay attention. And so being anxious and uptight and in a hurry while you're driving a car, not a good idea. Not a good idea. When people are anxious and upset and in a hurry while they're driving the car, they're the ones most likely to have an accident. I'm sorry, there's a bug and I need to take it out. Because if not, it's okay. He's not I'll bothering have a plaque, but I'm going to have a plaque of those. You've got a bug? Yeah. He's not bothering you. Why are you bothering him? Uh, okay, maybe you're right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. He's okay. He's fine. He doesn't, he's not a worry. <laughs> okay. You got a friend in the room. <laughs> yeah. So that's an example right there. You saw the bug and immediately had the feeling I've got to do something. Yes. Okay. So now you can say, Oh, I see a bug. And let it stop there. You go, I see a bug and I need to do something. 
You're still okay. looking at him. You're still looking at him as if you need to do something. You're still no, afraid of the bug. <laughs> no, I need to recreate what you just said. Like, oh, I see a bug and stop and <laughs> and see that there's that's the there's a bug. That that's it. That's just it. There's a bug. That's all we need to do is just recognize here's the bug. But we also have to recognize there's the bug and then recognize the feeling, oh, I've got to do something. Because you don't have to do anything. That's a new choice that you can make. You see, before we mentioned this, you didn't have any choice. I saw you. When you saw that bug, you were working on the windows, getting up. I mean, you were really kind of frantic there for a moment. Because you were driven by the thought there is a bug and I have to do something about it. Okay. Okay, so now we have two things to look at. One is I see the bug, which is okay, that's good. And then the next is I see that I've got to do something about it. That feeling, I've got to do something. Mm -hmm. Notice that feeling. And then take a deep breath and recognize, I don't have to do anything. Okay. I don't have to do anything. I can just sit here and and continue to observe. Okay. Okay. Just continue to watch because the the bug's not dangerous. No. He's not going to kill you. It's not going to bite you on the nose and your nose swells up this big and then you die. (laughs) That's not going to happen. But you were taught to be afraid of bugs when you were a child. Mm-hmm. And what about these fears that are not taught are not taught by by society but by experience? Well, you have created all of the fears. But there are things in society that you will use that remind you, oh, you're supposed to be afraid right now. Like you see a bug and now you're supposed to be afraid and you got to do something. Okay. so instead of blaming it on society, like blaming it on the bug. You can begin to recognize, know that this is something that you're doing on the inside and you do it automatically out of instinct because it's a habit that you've done. And that you now can make a choice because you're looking at it and seeing how you feel. Now you can make a choice. That in fact, what I'm actually getting around to telling you is that you can feel the way you want to feel. If you would pay attention to the way that you would want to feel. Instead, you're paying attention to how you do feel. And creating bad feelings from it. Like fear of bugs. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. so you're creating your own bad feelings. The bug is not making you feel bad. <laughs> you're you. doing that. <laughs> and you can bug. change that feeling. Yes, okay. I, I remember in high school, I think it is um, elementary school, on first grade, I had my first girlfriend. I'm sorry, I'm not pronouncing very well. I, I got a sore throat and... Well, she broke up with me, like she was my first love girlfriend. I 
didn't first tell. graders and six year olds. I mean, that's that's more of the fantasy in the child's mind, even if it's in two child's minds. Sure. But there's not really a romance. Like she broke up with me, and I remember at first I was like, okay, and I moved on, and someone told me like, aren't you sad? And I was like, oh, I should feel sad, and I. Like, like the so someone like, talked you into feeling sad. Uh-huh. And I, and then I started feeling sad. And since then, whenever I broke up, like I felt sad and I felt guilty. You know? Oh no! I, why did I do that? And, and guess what? You picked up the sad, the the feeling of feeling sad, and you've been carrying that same feeling around needlessly. Yes. There's not one thing in your in your life that's happened that requires you to feel sad. Every time you've done it out of choice. <laughs> yes. Yes. But, but it really wasn't a choice because it was now just a habit. It was automatic. Yes. Now that you can see it, now you can have the choice that you don't have to do things automatically. Now you can make choices. And the choice that you can make is that you can choose how you're going to feel about something. This is what the practice of Anapanasati is all about, is basically to see what we're doing, to throw that out, to gladden the mind, because as we gladden the mind, we begin to change the way that we feel. We begin to feel fearless because there's nothing to fear. I mean, you can look around in your room right now and you can see that, in fact, that bug does not have 10,000 friends. That are no. swarming over you. <laughs> no. That there is no anacondas. There are no alligators. Yeah. That yesterday we had a, a monitor lizard in the yard. And the a dogs what? were barking. A monitor lizard. You know lizards? You know uh-huh. we've we've got them this big. <laughs> not not full alligator size, but they're not dangerous. Okay, but you don't have any monitor lizards. No. No. No no bears, no alligators. You're safe right now. Yeah. So why is it that you feel fear so often? When in well, fact the reality is is that you are a, you're you're safe. I I I got a constant fear of earthquakes. Yeah, but there's no earthquake. The time no, to be afraid of an earthquake is when you're in an earthquake. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I have a friend who uh, became afraid because at her university there was an active shooter. This is actually, I mean, it made big news in because uh, uh, it was in Russia, and they don't have a lot of active shooters in Russia. This guy had a shotgun. He killed six people. But he was at the university 30 miles from Anna. Why would Anna have to feel fear? Because she has the thought, it's my university. My school, there was a shooting. Not that there was a shooting, because that's not dangerous. But she felt afraid where, in fact, she was nowhere near danger. Another real example of that is that one time, this in fact was 9-11, September the 11th, 2001, I was at a watch in Chicago. 
I remember very distinctly that night because it was a meditation class and uh, the abbot of the Wat, uh, Virasat Viradamo, uh, I walked in into this room where he had a whole bunch of students that were really freaked out and upset about the Twin Towers being blown over. And he was explaining to them, and they were really, really uptight and not buying anything that the monk was saying. And here I walk in, and I hear what's going on, and I start pointing out that how far are you from New York? You know, Chicago is like 500 miles from New York. Why are you people freaked out of something that happened 500 miles from here? Why are you afraid? And even if the if it was the Sears Tower in Chicago that was had blown open, you were not in the Sears Tower in Chicago. It, mm-hmm. it didn't happen to you. Why are you afraid of something that happened 500 miles from here? Why is Anna afraid of something that happened 30 miles from here? Because that could happen to me. Well, that's, it didn't happen to you. That's the delusion. It didn't happen to you. You only imagined that it happened to you. Mm-hmm. So look at your imagination because it's your imagination that makes you feel afraid. Okay. Okay. That all of your fears are imaginary. The reality is, is that you've got no alligators, no crocodiles, there's no 747s flying into your house right now. (laughs) And everything is okay. Okay. But imagine how many disasters you can dream up. I mean, I can sit here and list a whole bunch of stuff and wow, you can get really uptight if I start telling you all the stuff that could go wrong. Yeah. Things are not going wrong. All of those things, what ifs, are just in the mind. Concepts. Mm -hmm. The reality of the situation is, is that you're safe right now. So the reality is, congratulate yourself for being safe right now. Wow, doesn't it feel marvelous that I'm (laughs) actually safe? There's nothing fearful. Okay. So this is wholesome thinking, is whenever thoughts of fear come up, we can say, but that's not real. I don't have to be afraid right now. I can be happy, happy and relaxed. Okay. And when imagination doesn't go to unwholesome thoughts, like it goes like, Wholesome thoughts and things that could go right and like it go like like I would say like it's giving hope. Hope is like I think hope is fragile. Ah, but hope is trying to get uh, something better because what we have right now is not good enough. Okay. So hope is actually a kind of want, a kind of desire. Mm-hmm. And so be careful of what you hope for. Okay. Because maybe you're beyond hope. 
I'm beyond hope. I don't hope for anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why? Because right now is good enough. Why should I hope for something new? When everything right now is okay. Okay, and, and, and the attachment, like, this attachment that sometimes, like, things are going so good that it's like I want to clench into it, like. Ah, but instead of then enjoying it, you cling to it. We're instead in possibility of this is not going to last, but right now I can really enjoy it. But if I'm clinging to it, in a way, I've just destroyed it already. Okay. Because grasping and clinging is wanting something. And you're afraid that you'll lose it. Fear of loss. Well, if fear of loss is there, then that's actually destroying the good feelings that you did have. So you can say, never mind how long it'll last. I'll enjoy it as long as it does. And not only that, but then you begin to get the um, the confidence that if you lose it, you can get it back again. Okay. So you're safe enough. That even if you begin fearful again, you can get safe enough again. All you have to do is remember to not be fearful and remember to stop telling your things that make yourself afraid. Okay. And you'll be okay. That, yeah, things are going to go up and down. You're going to forget, but then you'll remember. Mm -hmm. And every time you remember, you can put yourself into a good state. And you can enjoy it for as long as it lasts. Okay. And then, in fact, you can you can actually begin to work on sustaining it. But when you sustain it, that's completely different than the fear of losing it. Because the fear of losing it, you've already lost it. As opposed to, yeah, yeah. here it is. Yeah, I've got it. Yeah, this is okay. Yeah, here it comes. Yeah, this is good. And we just over and over and over again keep telling said everything's all right. I don't have to worry, but oh, I'll lose it. Oh, I'm afraid. Because then I just lost it. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So one wholesome thought after another, after another wholesome <laughs> thought. This is the way that we practice. And I'm sure you can do this. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, let's it. finish the talk now. I've got another student waiting. And okay. you go practice. You keep doing this, recognizing that you sometimes apologize when there's nothing to apologize for. Okay. <laughs> that you're already okay, <sighs> just as you are. <sighs> Everything's okay. Okay. Thank you, Amarato. All right. Well, we'll talk to you in a few days then. Thank you. Bye.